Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You are listening to Young's Time Movie Review at Young's Time Movie Review.com. And we, and we are the Children of the Guys, if this means we have to watch another Star Wars movie. The children of the 80s are back with another classic from our childhood. I'm Chris. And I'm Patrick. And for this episode, we are reviewing the quintessential Buddy Stoner comedy of all time in a film that shaped Patrick's entire high school career. <laughs> that is 1978's Up in Smoke, directed by Lou Adler and starring Cheech Marin, Tommy Chong, Edie Adams, Struther Martin, Although I don't know about Edie and Strutter, Edie and Strutter, they were they were a little brief in this one. Uh, Stacy Keach, Tom Skerritt, and BJ and the Bears' favorite deputy, Mills Watson. But before we begin, a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by La Migra International Bus Services. Amigos, do you have a wedding in Mexico you need to be at ASAP, but don't have enough dinero for a gift and a ride? Do you need a one-way ticket to Tijuana for a last-minute furniture pickup? Then La Migra International Bus Service is for you. Our operators are standing by our toll-free ice-cold hotline, 24-7, 365, holidays always included. We have well-trained specialists who will pick you up on your doorstep or inside your house and give you a complimentary bus ride down south, no questions asked. So remember, when you're in a pickle, La Migra International Bus Service is there for you. <laughs> Patrick, since uh, this defined your high school years, you got a summary for us? Sure, if I can clear the smoke enough so that I can see it. Anthony the Man Stoner is an unemployed marijuana smoking drummer, which is appropriate since his name is Stoner. His parents, Arnold and Tempest Stoner, threaten their son to get a job by the end of the day, or he will be sent off to military school with that goddamn Finkelstein shit kid. Not Those wanting Finkelsteins, they get you in, in trouble every goddamn time. Correct. Not wanting to face military school. The man moves out of his parents' house and hits the road. After man's car breaks down, he is picked up along the highway by Pedro de Pacas, who mistakes man for a big breasted woman. Apparently, Pedro has terrible eyesight. The two men share a passion for marijuana and enjoy a joint together as they drive down the road. The marijuana is powerful and an impaired Pedro ends up parked on a traffic median. The police find them and arrest them for being in possession of drugs. At their initial court appearance, the judge dismisses their case on a technicality after man discovers that the judge is drinking vodka while on the bench. Once free, the pair go in search of more marijuana. They go and visit Pedro's cousin, Strawberry, a Vietnam War veteran. Strawberry takes Pedro on an errand while man stays at Strawberry's house. A large group of people come over 
to Strawberry's house while he is gone and begin to ingest whatever substances they find in the house, whether they are a drug or not. When Strawberry and Pedro return, Strawberry notices that his house is being raided by the police. The mentally deranged Strawberry believes that the police are Viet Cong, while Pedro helps the man escape the raid. Not long after, Pedro and man are deported to Tijuana, Mexico by immigration when some of Pedro's relatives call INS on themselves so they can get a free ride to a wedding in Tijuana. Pedro and man want to return to the United States and arrange to pick up a vehicle from Pedro's uncle's upholstery shop. The stoners go to the wrong address and end up at a marijuana processing plant disguised as an upholstery shop. Disguised is very loosely yes. termed there because that wasn't much of a disguise. No, and no furry vans in my world. Well, and there wasn't much of a story to the film. So where do you kind of goes along with that? They, That's true. they unknowingly agree to smuggle a van constructed entirely of hardened marijuana from Mexico to Los Angeles. Unbeknownst to Pedro and man, a police narcotics unit led by Sergeant Stadenko is conducting surveillance on the highways between Tijuana and Los Angeles based on information that someone would be attempting to smuggle marijuana. Stadenko and his men get close to discovering the van, but they arrest a car full of nuns instead after man throws his smoking joint into their car. Eventually, Stadenko discovers that they arrested the wrong people and that Pedro and man's van is the proper target. Stadenko engages in a hot pursuit along the road, but they are stopped suddenly when one of the officers shoots out their own tire. On the way to Los Angeles, Pedro and man pick up two hitchhiking women, Jade East and Debbie. The girls convince the stoners to perform at a Battle of the Bands contest at the Roxy Theater. At the same time, the van begins to smoke from the heat coming off the exhaust pipe. The smoke gets a motorcycle cop who tries to pull the van over high. The boys, Jade and Debbie, arrive at the Roxy. Man is disturbed that the audience is hostile towards the band's performing and begins to freak out. Jade gives Man what she believes is an upper, but mistakenly gives him the wrong drugs. The van continues to smoke outside the venue, and the marijuana smoke enters the Roxy and gets the audience high, including Stadenko and his men. Pedro and Man perform with Pedro's band, Alice Bowie, and win the contest and a recording contract. Meanwhile, the van catches fire outside the Roxy Theater. The film concludes with Pedro and Man driving in Pedro's car again. The two dream about their future. Man lights a small portion of hash and gives it to Pedro. However, the hash falls into Pedro's lap, causing him to panic and swerve the car. Man attempts to put out the burning hash with his beer. The film ends with the car swerving along the road with smoke billing out of the windows. And that is up in smoke. That reads like the first draft of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yeah. Bill and Ted's is like, you know, Gandhi compared to this shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> And something you did leave out of the summary, which was humor says as each cop got in trouble after the hype speed pursuit, each one got put in the back seat until it was just the sergeant driving and everybody was in the back. Correct. The comedy highlight of the film. <laughs> <laughs> Those cops. Well, with uh, 
a wonderful summary like that, I would assume that uh, this film made billions of dollars in the box office. The the sole reason that we have summer blockbusters today, correct? Uh, no. <laughs> no, well, and no film really made billions of dollars back then. But uh, Up in Smoke was released on August 11th, 1978, the same month as Woody Allen's Interiors and The Eyes of Laura Mars, and nothing else that I could find to even make a joke of what Chris's favorite film was from that month. Uh, <laughs> I think I was watching uh, Watership Down for the 80th time, uh, possibly, and crying in a huddle over the gore. Right. Uh, it was made on a budget of two million dollars, which I want to go. Where was the money spent? Uh, grossed. Four- I think that was a hundred and ninety or one point nine hundred ninety nine million on pot, and the rest <laughs> on story. Right. Grossed uh, just over forty four million dollars domestically, a hundred and four million dollars worldwide was the 13th highest grossing film of 1978, right behind Halloween, Foul Play, and The End, and right in front of Midnight Express, Coming Home, and the animated The Lord of the Rings. was the first of seven Cheech and Chong Was movies. The Lord of the Rings, is it that old, that original one? That yeah. cartoon? Yeah, the cartoon one that covers uh, Fellowship and Two Towers, yeah. Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah. Up in Smoke was the first of seven Cheech and Chong movies and the second highest grossing film of their film series right behind next movie, which just edged it out, uh, nominated as one of the 500 movies uh, for AFI to be considered for AFI's 2000, the year 2000 list of top 100 funniest American movies didn't ultimately make the list uh, included in the book, a thousand and one movies you must see before you die. And Rotten Tomatoes has it at 47% critics and 82% audience. And that is the numbers on Up in Smoke. Man, I wonder how many uh, Taco Bell combos have been sold to that movie as well. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> Kept Taco Bell in business all, all these years, I'm pretty sure. Now, neither Patrick or, or I, although we like comedies, we like 70s and 80s comedies. This isn't really, this isn't really meant for us, this film. I, I mean, when this film came out, I was seven. So even in the brief time that, you know, I did occasionally use marijuana, it was that came far, far later in life. And although I didn't see this probably till I was in high school, I was very aware of who Cheech and Chong were. You know, I'd seen their movie posters. Uh, and I think the first movie I saw from them was Nice Dreams. Um, or maybe things are tough all over. I can't remember which one I saw, but I saw that on HBO. Uh, and you know, I, I thought it was mildly amusing, but I didn't see up and smoke until long, long, long time after that. And you know, this, this film, you know, I seem to remember and, and I can't say I, and once again, I am not a huge Cheech and Chong fan. I don't dislike them. It just, I didn't, I didn't treasure their films in the seventies and eighties. Uh, and when they split up, I didn't really beg for a reunion, but you know, I seem to remember nice dreams and things are tough all over having a more cohesive story than this was. I mean, this was very much a, just a series of vignettes, very loosely tied together by just two characters. Well, I think this was just really a rehash of their comedy albums, right? I have made into some sort of a story. You know, other than Santa and his old lady, I don't know a single one of their comedy songs. I mean, I just am not a fan of Cheech and Chong. Yeah, I, I, have, 
I have nothing to add to that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think when I saw this one. I, I'm pretty sure, was this a late night HBO loop staple? It's not something that we probably would have seen, but I feel like my parents let me see this one because, to be honest with you, you take the pot use out, this isn't really an R-rated film. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, I think it's pretty tame. I mean, especially by today's standards, but I think even for the 70s, this is a very tame film. Well, if you take the pot use out, you've got a, probably a 30-minute film, too. I mean, there's not uh, the entire last third when they've driven the van is nothing but drugs. So, and but it's it's the same joke over and over again. Inept cops and, you know, blissfully ignorant uh, stoners just keep stumbling by each other without actually interacting. And that, that, that might be funny the first time, maybe when the nuns are arrested, but it doesn't play well for the remainder of the film. It's just too repetitive. No, I, I agree. I, I have seen this like a handful of times and I thought I had not seen it though, since the nineties, but watching it for this review, I think I've seen this within the last couple of years because I was able to quote the film Oh. And I, I I haven't seen it enough times uh, to, to say that I would be able to quote it from something from long ago. And maybe it's the acid you take that might, might have caused you to have just kind of a flashback. Uh, that's very possible. I have ended up in, in a median part with some random bearded dude next to me that I just met. So that's not unheard of. But yeah, this, this isn't in my wheelhouse, but... There are certain parts of it that did make me laugh out loud. And then there are certain parts of it that I was just bored for large stretches. And I think it goes back to where you're saying that it was very repetitive for the last portion of the film. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, there's the things that don't make sense to me <laughs> and the things that it's just like, okay, well, we went to the, the cousin's house and then we're r arrested by INS and we go to Tijuana, but they get back from Tijuana. Okay. I don't even know why they needed the van. You know, they just drove across and it, it, there was just these little loose things to try to make a story out of something. And it's not really, it's not really a strong connection as far as story. And there's certainly not really a connection, you know, or, or enough, you know, story to make true conflict. I mean, everything is resolved within seconds of it being a problem. Well, what was the, the point of Tommy Chong's parents at the beginning of the film? I mean, he wasted a perfectly good Strother Martin character, that could have been just fine, although that could have turned into a Smokey and the Bandit type situation pretty easily, too. But I, I thought that uh, that they're just they had characters that didn't need to be there or they needed to be there for the whole film. Yeah. Like, why did Strawberry and you get Tom Skerritt, arguably one of the better known actors in the film to play him? to, you know, this, you know, Vietnam War vet, you know, shell shock Vietnam War vet. What purpose did he really serve in that? I mean, he takes Pedro away and the man gets left at the house and shit falls apart at the house. And then he and Pedro come back and he starts acting crazy. But as soon as Pedro and the and man leave, then it's, we drop strawberry. There's no, he's not involved in the story any longer. And it was just like that. I, you know, I like Tom Skerritt. So why didn't we have more of him? Hopefully it was just the bird that died in that house. <laughs> Also, there was the little portion with the uh, the police cop who was the dispatch, 
and she was also a drug dealer on the side. That I really thought was good. And, you know, they could have made a little bit more of that as well. As I said, it's just a lot of like, we're going to give you a, a, you know, a, a, a hint at something. Cause even then is, do you have both Pedro and man pissing on Stadenko's shoes or on his leg? And are they doing that on purpose or that they are that oblivious? I mean, that the, the, it seemed like, especially at the police station, I think that's when man peed on him. That seemed to be very purposeful. <laughs> and it's like, wow, is, is he that ballsy? You know, that there's elements of the character that just aren't consistent with everything else, you know? And then you got man who is the entire time seems to be just this relaxed, just take it in stride stoner. But then he gets to the battle of the bands and he has a meltdown. It's like, why are you having a meltdown? You know, it just is wildly inconsistent. Although to try to apply deeper meaning to this film as compared to, you know, as a whole is the entire film, their drug filled fantasy. And they've been sitting in that car from that one of those first opening sequences until the end of the film and that they never did the trip to strawberries. They never did uh, they never went to jail or uh, went to court, never went to Tijuana, never went to the Battle of the Bands. It's all just one sequence of them just sitting there, and they just imagined it because the pot was that good. Or you could even go back to Tommy Chong was just stuck on that beach the whole time, never even met. Yep. Yeah. buddy. I, I, I wouldn't go that far, but I think there's one way. If you want to scratch the surface, and there ain't much to scratch, you could argue that none of it really happened. And it was just them sitting in the car smoking that joint. Yeah. Which would have fit perfectly with the pot story. Well, it, it would have, except it's kind of a disappointing film. It's like, oh, well, none of this happened. And and they're still smoking drugs. So what am I supposed to take from that? What is what is the journey I'm supposed to have take? Basically, what you just told me is there was no journey. <laughs> and it's and it's a much less interesting film to me. Is this the the earliest appearance of what I would consider a valley girl with the two stoner chicks? Can you think of a film Ooh. where there's two women like this in Los Angeles? I, I will not uh, rule anything out. There probably could be something out there, but it's probably the, one of the more prominent roles. Uh, you're talking about Jade East and was it Debbie? I think it was. I can't even remember their name. It's but, Jade East for sure. And I can't remember if it, I think it's Debbie is the other, other girl. Yeah. I, I, I got lost in uh, her eyes, so I couldn't really tell you, but, um, but yeah, I don't remember. And I was, I was thinking about this. I, I don't remember any films earlier, but I could be wrong, uh, where there's a Valley girl type person, but they, they definitely in the eighties, they're definitely based on these two girls quite often in many films. Yeah. I don't know if Valley girls were always so heavily into drugs, but you know, at least in other portrayals. Yeah. Now, Lou Adler directed this one. I don't really think of him as a director. I think he he executive produced some films, but he's mainly a music guy, right? I'm unfamiliar with anything else he's done. I can tell you that he owns to this day the Roxy. He he started with a group of people in 1973, so that's how they managed to uh, get least space for this film uh, for the big climactic ending, which really wasn't very climactic to me. But yeah, I don't remember him. I think this is his one and only film that he actually directed. And I mean, other than the story, the the directing I thought was fine. I guess it was okay. Nothing. He wasn't really asked to do much as a director, I guess. Well, I mean, 
if I could sit here and say the directing was what was at fault, <laughs> I, I think that would be a kind of, you know, fair. Uh, wow. He was a, he was a very prominent musician because he wrote what a wonderful world um, by Sam Cooke, which has been in a ton of movies, but interesting. Uh, but it, to me, it was story. There was none. I mean, everything mm-hmm. looked fine on the screen. I didn't have a problem with how it looked. I mean, there I saw in my research of the film that he was, he's inspired by Robert Altman. And I can get that because you got overlapping dialogue. You got people talking in the background while the characters are in the foreground talking. So you have multiple conversations going and that's kind of a trademark of Altman. Uh, so I, I can see similarities to that. So stylistically, I didn't have a problem with it. It's just, there was absolutely no story. Now I did like the look of it. I, I get a lot of nostalgia the older I get for seventies uh, things. I don't know if, if you have the same effect, but you know, just the film they used, the the Los Angeles that is not there anymore. And I think that because the story was lacking, I paid attention more to just 1970. I, I don't know if this was filmed in 77 or 78, but, you know, the the background, you could see the, the gas prices of the day and just the overall feel of the city. Even Mexico was filmed in Los Angeles. So we got a very nice overview of something long gone by and it's that is a time capsule that i enjoyed that aspect of this film but then i can say the same thing for seems like old times which you just reviewed too yeah i mean it's i agree with you that is very much a time capsule for the time that there is a comfort level of the visuals um even kind of the music in the film i'm very familiar with a lot of the music in the film it was something that i grew up hearing uh, even the song, you know, up in smoke. I, you know, I have that on my iPod. I, 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 I like the song. Unfortunately, I think that's probably the best thing in the film. The, the thing I like most, uh, but I, ultimately I just, I think this is kind of a throwaway film and I, I understand it's a cult classic, but my counter argument to that is, yeah, drugs can be a bad thing. And that, you know, just because it, you know, glamorizes and i don't even think it glamorizes drug use specifically marijuana the i think it just it doesn't play out very well i i think you know like harold and kumar is a funnier film <laughs> you know it, it has a more cohesive story and i like white castle hamburgers much better <laughs> better than burritos that make you go to the bathroom in tijuana random wherever it was they were the, yes the Absolutely. I, I would rather have a White Castle hamburger than a Tijuana burrito. Uh, would you put Dazed and Confused miles ahead of this one? You know, Dazed and Confused isn't, it, it's got a little bit of a stoner element, but it is not a, a, a I, I definitely would think it's, I think it's a better film. Don't get me wrong, but I don't necessarily think of that one as completely a stoner film. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of drinking involved, but there's actually very, very little drug use by some of the characters. So it's just a couple of characters in the film. Um, unfortunately, they're always on the cover. But Right. Yeah, that one was set in what, 1976? Something that was more like of that. a coming-of-age film, I guess. Right. And once again, another film that speaks to a different era, although that's a recreation of the 70s, where this is a film of just a, it's just documenting the 70s. It was it made in that time frame. Comedies of the day in the 70s, 80s sure did like to use the uh, the ex-Vietnam guy that goes crazy and sees Viet Cong somewhere and starts 
blowing up shit. Yeah, it's. I mean, it was a it was a comedy cliche at the time. I just watched uh, before this today. I just watched 1990s Men at Work, and the character Lewis is an ex-Vietnam vet who takes prisoner the pizza guy and thinks of him as Charlie as well. Is that Keith David? Yes. Yeah. You can't go wrong with Keith David, though. No, no I even think, in that film. I think Keith David is a great, great character actor. I like Keith De- David, and I think he's interesting to talk. I've heard, seen many interviews, listened to a few podcasts where he talks about his films and his careers and the people he worked with. He's great. He would have been a great addition to Up in Smoke. <laughs> <laughs> that would, he, he would have been a better pimp than the guy that they had in this one. Look at that. Somebody threw away a perfectly good white boy. That move, movie's average, but it's so quotable, and it's a lot of fun. No, there's some great lines in that utterly shitty film, but we were talking about another utterly shitty film, yeah. so let's get back to there, that. There's a movie review within a movie review. <laughs> Is there anything you want else you want to talk about this one? I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about the music, like the performance at the end, you know, yeah. like what... That is, I think, is their act. If I remember correctly, what I do recall them, I mm-hmm. is it's just bizarre, and I didn't really care about that whole band performance at the end. It just was stupid. I mean, I didn't, I didn't find their 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 performance as a band in the film that entertaining or good. And this idea of well, everybody's super stoned, so they were accepting of it. I'm like, okay, whatever, convenient. And on top of that, I don't know where he got the little tutu outfit, but the rest of his band was wearing those waiter outfits still. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, well, he was okay with the waiter outfits until Tommy Chong's guy said something. So I don't know where he decided to finally go full tutu on the crowd, but he did. And as far as big band acts at the end of films, they're, they're never all, all that great. But heck, I would put, I, w- I would put Bill and Ted's. That wasn't really a band act at that point, but their little video performance head over heels uh, over this one. What are you talking about, Prince? Purple Rain at the very end. I mean, that's a big finish. That's a showstopper there. Unlike this piece of shit, and that's a shitty film too. <laughs> but it has Purple great- Rain is forever. That that's like uh, I block it out of my mind from trauma. Uh, that film is a horrible film. Great soundtrack. Great, great soundtrack. It's kind of like Saturday Night Fever, although it's not as bad as Purple Rain. It, it's just an average film. Okay, oh, I don't like Saturday Night Fever either, but it's... Do you like disco? No, I did not like disco. I don't even oh. care for disco music. I love just about every music genre out of the 70s. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to make fun, but yeah, I do. That's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, let's go around the table here. Final thoughts of the film. Does it stand the test of time? Patrick, we'll start I, with you. You know, I've never thought this was their best work. I didn't find it that entertaining when I saw it in the late eighties. Uh, I liked some of the other films. I, I, rem- I distinctly remember other comedy scenes that I thought were laugh out loud funny in their other films. And I don't, I, I'm hard pressed to think of a laugh out loud moment in this film. I, you know, I don't remember which one it is, but there's a scene where uh, Cheech is in a straight jacket in a padded room and he's scooting around on the floor and he's yelling. And then he just, at, you know, and you're, you're getting this element that he's in a panic. And he said, 
my balls itch and somebody scratched my balls. And that I thought was funny. I thought was really funny. And I still think it's funny to this day. And then there's another one where I think they're eating peyote or they're eating, they're eating something. They're out in the middle of the desert and he gives, uh, you know, the man or Chong gives something to, I don't think he's the man in that character. He gives something to Cheech and, and he eats it and, and he says, well, there's, you know, there's like a half, you know, there's a worm or something in it or half of one, you know, and, you know, and, <laughs> and, and then, you know, but I distinctly remember laughing out loud in those films uh, and not, that doesn't exist in this. And I know it's a cult classic and I, and, and I'm hard pressed to think why, because I've never romanticized it. I don't know. I can honestly say, I don't know anybody who will sit here and, and honestly say to my face this is a great film or it's a really funny film. I know a lot of people who saw it and went, eh, it's all right. Or just say it sucks. And that there were other better films uh, and the films that you brought up, uh, you know, you brought up days and confused, which I don't think so much of a stoner film, but I think definitely Harold and Kumar, uh, the first one is a much better stoner film and a uh, half baked from the nineties, I think is a much better stoner film than this, uh, a little, another cult classic, but, uh, I, I, I don't think it stands the test of time. It's extremely dated. If you want to like a time capsule of what the, the seventies look seventies, uh, Los Angeles looked like that yeah, you got it here. It's captured very well, but, uh, I don't think it stands the test of time and I probably won't ever watch it again. Well, this film was not for me. I mean, it's just not my style, but um, I'm going to go ahead and say that it stands the test of the time if you like stoner films. I mean, sure, there's not much of a story to it, but I think it's a fun ride, especially if you're smoking something. Uh, I think you can laugh along with it. If I'm going with comedies from the 70s, I would watch um, Smokey and the Bandit or Bad News Bears or Slapshot before this one. This is not my favorite of the Cheech and Chong films, but I don't even know the Cheech and Chong films enough to tell you which of them is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, Obviously I'm sitting here rattling off scenes and other films and I can't tell you which films those are in. I just remember I saw them. I haven't probably seen a Cheech and Chong film probably since the early nineties. And other than probably reviewing them for a podcast here, eventually I don't see that I'll be watching him again just off the top of my head. You know, obviously Cheech Marin went went on to have a much uh, more prominent career and was in much, much better films. And I've seen him in many films and I like him as an actor. I don't even have a problem with Tommy Chong. He's just not as prolific. I mean, he, he's very much been typecast as the stoner guy where Cheech Marin is uh, become much more of a character actor kind of the sidekick, if you will, to in a lot of other films that I think he, he fits that role really well and he does very good. And I think he's a funny guy. He did go on to produce Ray Dong Chong and you do love her in commando. Oh, don't forget soul man. How could you forget soul man and soul man? You, how can you not? I, man, two classics. Both of them have a scene where she's got to get in the chopper. Uh, but anyway, no, this, this film, it's just not for me there. Although I like these two, their chemistry together and I like them. Their films are just not for me in general. The end. Well, that's it. (laughs) I have nothing more to say. Well, that's it for our review of up in smoke. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section. And for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com, please rate it from one to five stars on that page as well. If you enjoyed today's review, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel 
the MHM Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. Until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Patrick. We have to get out of here, and you guys are invited. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for Lunchtime Movie Review, Fireworks, is provided courtesy of Alexander Nakaranda at SerpentSoundStudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, the MHM Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted. Noted.